for the sake of a member who can't be here, who was not wanting us to do John 17 until he got back. <laughs> so, uh, do you 17? want to read? Would you read for us? One, one verse. Oh. Uh, one verse, okay. Seventeen. Eighteen. 18. We, we jumped over yeah. 17. Yeah. 18, yes. When he had finished praying, Jesus left his, with his disciples and crossed the Kindron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. To a place where there was a garden is what my version has. You have olive grove. What translation is that? NIV. NIV. Uh, apparently, this word has more than one meaning, as many words do. It probably can mean garden or olive grove. Keep in mind, garden isn't a... Don't think of a British garden. <laughs> when you think of the word garden in Greek, uh, it means uh, a nice place to visit uh, that's natural and maybe cultivated, but it's not a garden garden like we think of it. It's, mm -hmm. So an olive grove is a garden, you see. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there weren't gardens in the ancient world. I think of, of the gardens of Sennacherib and Nebuchadnezzar. You know, mm -hmm. There were gardens. But um, certainly, this either one works here. But it, 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 across the Kid, Kidron Valley, probably would be an olive grove, I think. I would think. And olive groves don't, you don't find them on hillsides, mm. <laughs> especially rocky hillsides like you have in Palestine. Mm -hmm. So, um, John, would you read for us? Mm -hmm. How long do you want me to read this? Is that verse 2 um, and 3 or? Uh, go ahead and read verses 2 to 9. Okay. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. So now we have the showdown. Mm -hmm. Things coming to a climax. And Jesus meets this detachment of soldiers. And they come with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Imagine arming yourself against Jesus. It's like he's, he's a dangerous criminal. He's going to shoot you if you don't. In my translation, it says... That that was about six hundred men. Six hundred men. Yeah. Can you imagine? This is, this is this, this is, is a detachment. <laughs> six hundred. Think so, about that. So if <laughs> if you if you bring that many people, this is we're gonna we're gonna surmount this supernatural thing that makes them disappear on us, right? I mean, they know how many times they have come to try to <laughs> capture him, and he's just evaded them. He's not going to get away with that this time. We have 600 people. There's no way he can escape. Mm -hmm. And and 
it must have been, was it a temptation of Jesus to just sort of do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have. Yeah. And he gave him an indication. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Because when Jesus said, I am he, what happened? They drew back and fell to the ground. Something happened. Yeah. As if Jesus was saying, you know what? Here's what's really happening. Yeah. yeah. See it? Yeah. So, I'm not sure how to say this, but I think before, the, before Jesus comes, we're going to experience the great controversy on a level we never dreamed possible. And it's going to be a supernatural struggle. And we need, we need to be careful what we label satanic and what we label God and really test the spirits. Because I think that we're going to see supernatural things on both sides. And it's going to be very confusing. And, and, and one side is going to think of itself as very holy and very righteous. And they're going to actually flaunt that in everybody's face. So we, we need to be very, very careful as we approach the end, how we handle this and be always open to testing the spirits uh, and not, not just jumping to conclusions and saying the spirit is of God and the spirit is of Satan until we have tested. Once we've tested and we know, based on scripture, which spirit is which. Because you think of, you think of the Pharisees. It says specifically the chief priests and the Pharisees. That means the Sadducees and the Pharisees have come together to put Jesus to death. And both those two sides, the Sadducees were the liberals of Jesus' day. They didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They were skeptics. And they derided the Pharisees because they made so much of their own rules. And they said, no, we accept Torah, Torah only. I hope I'm not sounding too familiar. But you have, you have these two basic parties of Judaism. And yes, you have the Essenes, but that party never gained any ascendancy. They were always kind of the fringes. They didn't really have um, any kind of a motivation that way anyway, right? There's, they were just considered themselves more scholars, kind of ascetic or more... more ascetic, more. Uh, isolationist. Yeah, um, yeah. But they did come into Jerusalem and mingle among people and, and try to propagate their views. So they were a little evangelistic. But uh, they didn't have the stature and the, and the pull on the people alike the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. So you have these two parties in Judaism. And they come together and heal their difference. I mean, they were all at each other all the time. Mm -hmm. if, if anybody raised something about the resurrection from the dead, they were at each other's throats. Which of those two groups do you think felt the most pious and righteous? Probably the Pharisees. Yeah. The Pharisees seemed to flaunt it more. Mm -hmm. But the Sadducees had a way of doing it too. And which side was right? Which side did Jesus side with? His own side. His it's, side. Like, it's like the, remember the angel of Joshua? I mean, the, the angel of Joshua that came to him and Joshua says, which side are you on? Are you for us or for our, and those against us? And the angel says, what? Neither. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
So, but this is what you said earlier is really important because see how this translates to today, right now. Well, I, I'm talking in parables this morning. Uh, <laughs> but but what you said earlier about have ears how, do you, how do you identify the true spirit, the spirit of truth, from the imposter? You have to really know God. And, and to me, there is no shortcut, and you can't settle for a surface knowledge. In other words, the plain reading that is so popular in certain circles today the Adventist Church is not a deep reading, it's a surface reading. And the meaning of Scripture and the truth revealed by Scripture is never a surface. Remember the, tr the householder who found a hidden treasure in his field, he had to dig up the whole field, he had to go deep, he had to, he had to dig it out. Uh, truth is not just there for the plucky. You have to compare scripture with scripture. You have to dig deep and you have to think deep. And see, that's the fascinating thing because we have now come to this place where we will deviate from scripture. Where so many of us will read what it says or hear, but then do something different. And that is quite fascinating. And, and that's a sign that we haven't come to know God, that we haven't come, become connected to him. You see, we think about the Gospel of John now, just, just the Gospel of John. Jesus stands outside the two groups that are at each other's throats. And what does Jesus what is Jesus' message about? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Mm -hmm. It really summarizes. And that is a message that, and, and it's too bad we did jump over 17 because this is, this is a very important prayer. Right, right. It, it talks about that right there. The right. prayer for unity. It is the truth that provides unity, not a common enemy. It is the truth that sets you free, John uh, 8.32. Uh, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And yet we have it's, so many that remain in captivity. It's, it's the truth that is to captivate us. So that, going back to what we talked about, and, and I, I can't help but feel that this is, uh, this is kind of the mantra of the church, um, that pathway lifted high above the earth, and everybody walking up toward the light, which the light is shining from Jesus, who stands at the head of that pathway. As long as they keep their eyes on Jesus, they remain on the pathway. But as soon as they take their eyes off Jesus and start looking at the faults and problems around them of others, they fall off the pathway. We never, we never get transformed by looking at Satan and what he does. We never get transformed by looking at the faults of others. Mm -hmm. We only get deformed. It is only by looking at Jesus that we can keep on that pathway. And it's only um, by beholding Him that we can become like Him. Uh, so, so our focus has to be on Him in His Word. So here, back to these two groups. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and you have the state. Okay? So... 
is this is this by any chance the model of the final days where you have the liberals and the conservatives coming together and getting the state on their side to protect themselves against this this heretic who has a totally different agenda a totally different purpose a totally different commitment and who really is presenting god <coughs> I, I hope I hope we can keep that in mind as events unfold, because we're we're just walking right toward it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just just a matter of time before this is going to bear out. So uh, Jesus uh, says to them, "I am." Jesus said to they said, uh, "Let's start. Let's back up in verse five. They answered Jesus of Nazareth, so "Who are you looking for?" Jesus replied, I am. He doesn't say I am he, which is what most translations translate it. It's I am. He he says the name of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Well, that name says it all. God is who he is. He has no other side to him. Jesus answered, see, Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. You think of Jesus trying to spare his disciples. He actually gives them permission to run away. Mm-hmm. But what happens in verse 10? Uh, Kristen, would you read that? Uh, read uh, verses 10 to 14. Then, <clears throat> then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Melchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Jesus' last act of healing was to heal the ear of one of his enemies, whom his own disciple cut off. Uh, By the way, John is the only one who lets people know it's Peter that did this. <laughs> John, I think, was a little troubled by Peter, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. You know, John tended to tell it like it was. It wasn't going to soft pedal anybody. He mentions him a lot, though. Yeah. So here's the slave who lost his ear, and Jesus put it back. It, it doesn't say here that he did. It, it says in another gospel. Mm-hmm. That Jesus actually picks up the ear, puts it back on him, and he was in. I remember watching this. Everybody's watching. <laughs> I I remember as a child reading this in, in Uncle Arthur's Bible story book. And feeling the dissonance. I felt dissonance. There, you know, you're 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 reading along and, and this drama is unfolding and and the, the bad guys are coming to get the good guy and and what are you? And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, there's this wonderful miracle, <laughs> and it just seemed so 
didn't fit. Mm-hmm. It didn't fit the drama. And I think that's, inten- that's actually what God intended. And what Jesus intended is to say, you know, this is ridiculous. You're coming to me with, with all these armed forces. Measurable people just to get one single man who has no weapon other than he's filled with God's glory. Plus, they could have taken him any time when he was in the temple, when he was speaking and, openly. And he tells them. And, but no, they had to do it in darkness. <laughs> and, and he wondered... Secret. I think they were worried about an insurrection from the common folks, you know, who, who, who revile, you know, you know, revered, uh, Jesus. revered Jesus more more closely, and there would have been an insurrection there, and, and, and I, you know, here it's like, okay, we can do it under cover of night, and nobody will know. So. Yeah, it's an amazing picture of God coming down as he really is, mm-hmm. saying, you want to see me? This is what I'm like. And they come at him like this. And all he does is seek to heal, mm-hmm. heal his enemies. If one of those soldiers who had fallen stricken to the ground had gotten sick because of the bright light, Jesus would have healed him, pulled him back to his feet. And then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Yeah, and one of the other, I think maybe it's Luke, you know, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword, you know, rebukes him. Yeah, I think Luke does say that. Uh, Luke is a pacifist. Quite clearly. This cup that Jesus has to drink is related to our cups, is it not? Jesus told the women who were weeping on his way to Golgotha, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. For if they did this to a green tree, what will they do to a dry? And and the New Testament is very, very clear that we suffer in his steps. We are to emulate him in suffering. That if we're really following Jesus, we will suffer. And, and that suffering is supposed to be uh, not something we retaliate against. We're supposed to forgive our enemies, not pray vengeance on them. We're supposed to love our enemies, not hate them. So they take him to Anna, Annas, the, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Annas was uh, older, and he, as the elder high priest, he was probably what you might call high priest emeritus. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he was, he was looked on as as the chief still, even though he was very aged. And Caiaphas was now high priest. And and of course, John has to note again. He seems really troubled by this, or, or really emphasizing it. Uh, Caiaphas was the one who had advised Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Because it's a sacrificial lamb. I, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know what he is thinking. There, there seems to be a dual thing going on with John. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a little bit of revelation here. Okay. John doesn't refer to the scribes and Pharisees merely. He talks about the Jews. This is a term the other Gospels don't use as much. The Jews. 
Who are the Jews? Margaret Barker, a New Testament scholar, suggests that the Jews are the ones linked to Babylon. And I don't know, I've looked at her evidence a little bit, and, and I'm not sure she has enough evidence for that. Mm-hmm. But it does seem odd that a Jew would refer to these as the Jews. And, and the Jews seem to be the collective people who put Jesus to death. And it is possible that they are the people who are the most influenced by Babylonia. I have recently, in, in, in the past year, done extensive research about this. Not as extensive as, as I would like, but for lack of time, I did as much as I could. And what I discovered is that there is, was a hefty amount of influence from Babylonia. Huge, Judaism. huge hefty is like an understatement. It was just oh, incredible. Just uh, uh, like, how could there be anything different? Yeah, uh, this this and this conviction that demons were the, that people who were sick were demon possessed is Babylonian mm-hmm. in origin. You don't have that in the Old Testament. And this is that connection. It truly, is fascinating. The legal system, the Sadducees, the, the the Sanhedrin, is a Babylonian creation. It's, it's a mimic of something that was in Babylonia among the priests. So uh, it's actually referred to in Babylonian texts. The Sanhedrin is actually referred to in Babylonian texts as a Kanishtu. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a group of priests, a circle of priests, mm-hmm. who make judicial decisions on, in the temple. And um, the, pro, the procedure that we're going to find, not so much in, well, in John and in other Gospels, the procedure that is followed, that Caiaphas does, is Babylonian. Not only that, but Babylonia influenced the Romans through the Greeks and the early Christians. Well, you know, I have friends that, that are, of the, are, are Jews, especially in the D.C. area, and particularly among the Reformed Jews, and I'm not trying to throw all Jewish people under the bus, I've got a smidgen of Jewish blood in there someplace. I have some too. So, so, but um, it's more like a social club. I mean, a number of my friends were part of the synagogue because it was good for business, not because there was any kind of, and that's, that's kind of a Babylonian kind of thing. It is. Know? It is. Uh, Babylonian, Babylonian religion is very secularized in mm-hmm. many ways. And this idea of one man dying for another nation is right out of Sharpuki ritual. It's just a Babylonian ritual where if the king and if the king represented the people, so one man dying for a nation isn't much different than one than the king dying, uh, because the gods are angry with him. Uh, and if the gods, if the omens showed that the gods were angry with the king and they would depose him, and maybe put have him put to death, um, they would install a substitute king, who ruled for one hundred days or less, hmm. and at the end of those days. Uh, he was taken out and executed, and the real king was brought back in. It's called the Sharpuhi ritual. Hmm. It, is, it seems to have originated in Assyria, but it was done by the Babylonians, and how we know it was done by the Babylonians is that when Alexander the Great came to Babylonia, the Babylonians welcomed him. The priests then read the omens and said, Oh, Alexander, the gods are against you. They are going to destroy you. Uh, let's do the Sharpuki ritual. I tried to do it for him. 
and he didn't understand what they were talking about, and so he refused to obey. But um, he died in Babylon, and he died in Babylon. <laughs> yes. So the the different different elements that we are encountering here, and keep in mind, all of those man-made rules came from two sources. The Jerusalem Talmud, what became the original, and eventually the Jerusalem Talmud, and what was the Babylonian Talmud. And to this day, the Jews prefer the Babylonian Talmud over the Jerusalem Talmud. No difference today. We still have the traditions of men. And we so, still have the traditions of the elders rather than the scripture. So, That's a tough um, one. It just, like Gene said, it just kind of flowed in. So, when he talks about the Jews and the Jewish police arresting Jesus and blinding him, um, this is this is come this is dealing with Babylonian. They are the offspring now of Babylon, and for John, not for us as Adventists, but for John, Babylon is old Jerusalem. Well, how do we know that? Well, it's the opposite of New Jerusalem, isn't it? So it's old Jerusalem. And and what leads to old Jerusalem are the principles and practices of Babylon that lead to violence and putting Jesus to death. And putting his followers to death. Okay. When we get to Revelation, we will have gone through the scriptures looking at salvation and the atonement. We will then move on to Babylon. Hmm. We will actually study ancient Mesopotamia, and I will try to bring to you, to this class, the evidence for what I'm talking about. Whoa. Because it has very... I, I took a class for the first time. I taught a class, Babylon and the Bible. Is that a special topic? Excuse me. Yes. Okay. And I took the students... I, what I did, they didn't. They expected to be just reading Isaiah 14 and uh, <laughs> Revelation 18 and, and so on. I sent, I turned them loose with the Babylonian texts that we could compare with biblical texts, because I believe that only by doing that comparison and contrast can you find the unique contradiction, contra- distinction, and difference and unique contribution that the biblical text has to make vis-a-vis Babylon. In other words, it's like doing an overlay, and you go, oh, that's what that biblical text is trying to tell us. It's, it's really talking against the Babylonian text. Uh, so I turned them loose of these texts. I didn't tell them how to read them other than to compare and contrast. Mm. After a few class discussions, they began to see exactly what I was trying to tell them. In fact, before I told them, they were getting it. And at the end of the Porter, their main question was, you know, um, this is what we've been taught. Babylon is what we've been taught. What do we do with that? It was a very sobering, <coughs> sobering class, and, and a very almost somber class, uh, because they didn't, and, and I, I shy away from casting stones at the church because I believe the picture is bigger than an institution. Mm-hmm. It's about individuals. It's about everyone who is my people coming out of Babylon. 
It's, it, it's about coming out of the theology and ideology of Babylon. Uh, it isn't about leaving one institution for another institution um, at this point. It, eventually, it's going to mean that. It's going to be, we're going to have to leave uh, whatever institutions hold us back from that, whether it's being part of evangelical Christianity or Roman Catholicism or what have you. We're going to have to con disconnect <coughs> Uh, and let me tell you, right now, Adventists are quite connected to the evangelical community. And, and eventually, if, if we're going to come out of Babylon, we're going to have to disconnect. And there are a large number of evangelicals who are, are coming out. And one of them is even keeping the Sabbath, and he's one you would not expect. I mean the Seventh-day Sabbath. <laughs> so... I, I see it as something bigger, and I would prefer not to cast stones at institutions, but rather cast stones against ideology and theology. Because we can pride ourselves we're in the right church. Or at least we believe so. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I mean, having family members that, that are Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Buddhist, everybody, th everybody thinks they're, they're the remnant church. And I, I would tell you this, um, I, th I think we're more closely aligned with what Scripture says, but I, I try not to put my faith on in this institution, but rather than the message, you know, that comes from God, you know. And so, like, it, it, I'm not saying that God would lead me down another path, but if He were later on, and it's not part of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, then I hope I'm open. If it's God leading me, not you know. The I hope I'm open spirit. to where mm -hmm. where it needs to go, and maybe well, it's institutionless. Is it, it, so. that, you couldn't have said that better. That. that is the word that, right there, because yeah. institutionless is a threat to the institution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I, I, I want to capitalize on that, John, because the, the gospel, if really, truly understood and believed, the gospel is powerful enough to fulfill John 17. Mm-hmm. Powerful enough to get the gospel to the world without needing a structure upon structure upon structure mm -hmm. upon structure. Well said. Very um, well said. It, it, it is the, the power, gospel is the power of God into salvation. If we really truly believe it. And, and I know because I have a large group of friends who believe the way I do about God out there. And what holds us together is not a strong leader. We, we did have one in, in the day. Uh, he's no longer with us. He's dead. But the real, the, the, the group, did, when that happened, when he died, the group didn't fall apart and say, oh, it's over. It regrouped and became stronger because we're no longer relying on someone. Mm -hmm. And and it has made movements and, and inroads. And our only weakness, I think, is when we individually uh, stop growing. Mm -hmm. I think as long as we grow and let the Spirit lead us and, and guide us and submit totally to His sovereignty of love, we're going to not fall short. And I think that's what the kingdom is made of. And there's, there's, no, there's no fellowship like the fellowship you have with people who have come to love and trust the same God. Amen. This is the um, one spirit. 
And so, so back to John, back to John four, the dower is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or that, that is Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem, but you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for that's what the Father seeks to worship Him, and I think that hour is coming, rapidly upon us. Not bound, bound in an institution or a social structure, right? Um, well, you know, I, and, and I know we're not doing John 17, but like sometimes I read it, I just cry. Because there's Jesus praying earnestly for us to be as one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And here it is 2,000 years later, and that prayer still isn't answered. And he knows, he knows. And, you know, and we think we can force unity into yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can, we can uh, legislate it and... Through power kick, and control, kick anybody through power and control, and kick anybody out who, who doesn't become unified with us. It, it is it is the Babylonian way to contrive relationships and make them contractual, transactional, legal, and artificial. To try to manufacture what looks like a loving relationship, which is totally a fraud, as much of a fraud as an idol. <laughs> well, you know, there's an interesting story uh, related to that, and I'll try to make it brief. I started off as a theology major, and my freshman year at Southern, this meltdown with, with Ford was going on, and some of, my pa- some of my pastoral teachers down at Southern got caught up in it, and I saw people lose their jobs, good people. I'm not saying they're perfect, but yeah. they were good people that loved Jesus, and, like, and I just said, like, man... Like, these are good people. Like, in some of them, would they get, share their views? They weren't saying, this is the way it is. There was more like, hey, in Daniel or in Revelation, could they could John have been saying this? You know, it was kind of like, you know, trying to get us to continue to search Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and people were losing their credentials. And, and you know, Dr. Knittel, who was a great president of Southern, lost his job. And, and, you know, of course, out here, the same thing happened over the Ford flap. And I thought, like, this is just ridiculous. Like, you know, I want to have a dialogue with people. And I don't want to have to be forced to say one particular thing that I may not agree with. And I certainly don't want to force other people to agree with me. I want to have a conversation about Jesus. And if they open up my mind and get me to think, extend what I'm thinking, or if I can get them to say something beyond what the, those 27 fundamentals at the time, you know, it's 28 now. I think we finally added prayer, which I think was pretty smart. But any, any, anyway, um, you know. Then that's a, a healthy it's a, it's thing. It's good if we believe it. It's better if we practice. Yeah, th- th- then it's a that's a healthy thing. So so um, so I, so you know I stayed part. Of, I, I didn't leave the church, but it's just like I'm going to go do the business thing and see if I can br- bring a few people to Jesus. You know yeah. that way. You know, and Your maybe they don't become Seventh Day Adventists, right. but just just be loving to them and treat my employees nicely and be nice to my customers. And anyway, that's what it is. But. I am working in an Adventist institution. All that is a, that's a perfect example of living life in the Spirit, yeah. which is very difficult for so many. Yeah. Uh, living life in the Spirit. Be converted as little children. Little yeah. children. You know, like when one little kid falls down and, and smashes his face and gets bloody on his face, the, the, the little kid right next to him, and, and this kid that is all bloody, he starts crying and crying. But then the kid right next to him, he didn't get hurt, but he sees the other kid crying, and he starts crying too because they're one. They, mm-hmm. You see? So little children, the conversion has little children. And when we have those things, like you were describing, absence of arrogance, absence of jealousy, absence of envy, mm-hmm. things that 
like Jesus said, little children do not have. Mm-hmm. Then you start to see and explore and live in the Spirit and experience life in ways that you would not have experienced before. Mm-hmm. Beautiful example. Amen. Well, our time is up. Um, as usual, we did not get through the chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I love it. We're, we're, we're talking about the Bible. That's why I love coming here, Gene. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you. So... Let's have our closing prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are the life, the light of the world, and that we do not need to fear the darkness, and we do not need to dwell in darkness, but we can come to the light. Mm-hmm. I pray that you will shine your light into our hearts that we might see you ever more clearly as we read your word. Help us to search the scriptures, to read them more deeply, to understand them more clearly. Help us to be willing to lay down every opinion that exalts itself against you and who you really are. We pray for our church. We pray for the churches around the world, the religions around the world, who seek you but don't know who you are. Amen. I pray that they might find you as you really are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.